Welcome to Your Cathedral Podcast, a podcast from the Cathedral Church of St. Luke and St. Paul in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information on our church, please visit yourcathedral.org. Would you pray with me, please? Come, Holy Spirit, fill us with your life, with your word, with your truth, with your glory, just as you filled Jesus. Transfigure us, Lord, would you this day. Come and revive us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I'm Sandy Kerner, for those of you who don't know me, and I want to welcome also all of our families, especially who are here today for the baptism. I serve on the staff here as one of the clergy. We know there's a very powerful association with music. When we hear certain songs, they have the power to immediately transport us to a time in our lives, a time and a place in our lives. In my brother's era, he was a little bit older than I. It was definitely the Beach Boys. Anytime you heard a Beach Boys song, you were right there, wherever you were back in the day. For me, it was more the Bee Gees and Saturday Night Fever. I know I'm dating myself. (laughs) But those songs come back and I am right there dancing at the disco place where I used to go with my friends. It's amazing how powerful music can be. Recently, I discovered on YouTube, because you can find everything on YouTube, I found some songs from my teenage years when I was just beginning to, to really know God in a personal way. And some of the worship songs that we sang, these, these albums came out. And I mean record albums, okay, not, you know, record albums. And finally they got to be on eight-track tapes. And we could play them in the car as we drove places. Yes, I'm a dinosaur, I know. <laughs> but I can remember getting those albums and being so excited about them. And I learned every single word that was in those songs. And I learned all the strums and all the guitar configurations for them it was a thing to do and they were like the the soundtrack of my life as a as a teenager I happened to find them on YouTube and I was so excited that they were out there somewhere somebody had digitized them so I'm playing them for a couple of days and I'm going wow this is amazing I can't believe and I knew all the words still to all these songs so I was driving out to St. Christopher Camping Conference Center this was early January and I was playing these songs, the songs of my life, on my you know, phone, through my car, radio, and it was great. I'm singing along, and I get to the camp, and I get to the gate where you go through the gate, and you go over that bump that you go through to get over to St. Christopher Camp and Conference Center. There's a little speed bump there. We call it the St. Christopher Bump. And as I was going over that, I was looking at the sign ahead of me that said, Welcome to St. Christopher. And I flashed back to when I moved here about, gosh, three and a half years ago now. I arrived at camp. I was going to work there. I wasn't going to live there, but I was going to work there. And I arrived late one night. I had all my worldly goods in the back of the car. And the rest of them were going to follow in the moving van at some point. But as I drove over that bump and I looked at that sign, I thought, I'm home. 
I'm home. This is where God's called me. I'm so excited to be here. See what God has for me. Well, on this day as I was driving out to camp, it would be my last day of working there, last day of employment. So I drive over the bump. I'm listening to the songs. I see the sign. And the refrain starts to play in this song. And it says, the life that you lose is the life that you gain. The life that you lose is the life that you gain. Ah, tears just filled my eyes. I pulled over to the side, put the car in park, and I cried. This is my last day. This was my hope to be here for the rest of my days till I retire. And here it is, my last day. Too soon, too soon. But I heard the Lord say to me through that song, the life that you're losing is the life that you're gaining And at that point, I wasn't too sure what was coming next right after my working at camp. This was still kind of an iffy possibility to come to the cathedral. But I wasn't sure, and I wasn't sure what this was going to be like. So God held me in that moment, and I saw a new life beginning to appear before me just through that song. Today is the last Sunday of Epiphany. We've been celebrating the revelation of Jesus Christ throughout this whole season as the light of the world. And all of the scriptures we've heard have featured Jesus in his teaching, bringing light into this world. This last Sunday of Epiphany is always the gospel reading about the transfiguration, where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John and goes up the mountain and prays. And before them, he is literally transfigured. And they see together, they see Moses, the great lawgiver, and Elijah, the great prophet, speaking with Jesus. And Luke, in his gospel, tells us they're speaking about his departure, his exodus, at the time when he will become the great Passover lamb and shed his blood so that eternal death would pass over us and we would be set free. The transfiguration, I think, is a perfect event as we head right into the season of Lent this week with Ash Wednesday. God's full glory is on display here in his son, Jesus. And there's also a foreshadowing of the coming sacrifice of the Son of God. But I was drawn to that passage from Philippians today. Paul's Paul's wrestling with, with loss and with gain, with resurrection and with death with sacrifice and suffering, which are transfigured into redemption and new life. So turn in your pew Bible, if you will, or the Bible you brought, or your phone app, to Philippians chapter 3. It's on page 981. Page 981. And to really understand this passage... You have to back up a little bit from verse 7 that was read today as the first verse. Go back up to verse 4 of chapter 3. This is Paul's, I call it bragging rights. (laughs) He wants to tell us who he is in the world. And he wants to catalog for us, like his resume almost, all of those things that were so important though. In other words, from birth Paul was part of God's covenant people. He was not a convert. He was not a latecomer. We would say today, Paul was not a kumya. He was a binya. And he wants you to know that. He has pride of place in this family. 
And he's of the people of Israel, he says. In other words, he's one of God's chosen people. And he could trace his ancestry back to Jacob. He also tells us he's of the tribe of Benjamin. We have a Benjamin here today who's going to be baptized. That's one of Jacob's most two favorite sons, Benjamin and Joseph, both born of his favorite wife, Rachel. And he's the only child of Jacob's that's born in the promised land. And from the tribe of Benjamin came the first king of Israel, Saul. And that was also Paul's given name, was Saul. And so Paul was telling us he belonged to the highest aristocracy of the Hebrew people. He said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrew parents. His full identity is Hebrew. He speaks it. It's his language. He holds on to it in the midst of Greek-speaking world that he's in. And then he gets really serious. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. And he makes that claim more than once in all of his writings. In other words, he's specially trained. He's like a spiritual athlete in Judaism. The very name Pharisee means set apart one, holy one, holy unto the Lord. It's a special designation in, in that time. And then he says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He's zealous to the point of almost being a fanatic because he wants to wipe out the opponents, what he considers opponents of Judaism, which is, are these Christians, these people who follow Jesus in the way. And he finally says, as to righteousness under the law, I can almost see him taking his suspenders and going like this. I am blameless. I have kept the law. I've fulfilled every demand of the law. I'm thus in right relationship with God. Isn't this wonderful? He brags about all of that, and he claims it as his own. And yet, verse 7 says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Rubbish is that which is thrown out. It's trash. It's refuse. Some translations make that word dung. He thinks that much of all of his bragging rights that he just talked about. He says all of these things, all of his accomplishments, his exalted ancestry are all the merit badges. Pure rubbish. Not worth anything compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And that word know is an intimate kind of knowing. It's not just a knowing with your head. It's a knowing with your heart, even in your gut. It's an intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ as his Lord. And he's, he's talking about that as pure grace. He did nothing to deserve that. It's pure gift from knowing and encountering and being encountered by Jesus the deep love of Jesus and trusting him then in everything. That's pure gift, Paul says. It's pure grace. And then he said, I count all of this as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from obeying all the law, 
But that which comes through faith in Christ, in trusting Christ to save me, to forgive me, to set me free, to heal, to be with me and for me, that's who Christ is for me, Paul says. He's saying to us, in essence, the life that you lose when you let go of that stuff is the life that you gain. And it's way more than you could ever possibly imagine. Then verse 10, I think, is the epitome of what he's trying to say. It's the, the key verse in this passage. Paul says, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. That verse is worth unpacking a little bit with a story or two. When we proclaim the Nicene Creed, which we will in a few minutes, we kind of run through that creed many times. We don't probably pay attention to all the words in it. But there's one part that really sticks out to me. We look for the resurrection of the dead, we say in the creed. And yes, we do. We who are baptized in Christ and trust in Christ have sure and certain hope of resurrection from the death, just as Christ was raised from death. But also, I think we look for the resurrection of the dead means that we look for resurrection Wherever death touches our lives, where every loss, every death, every had hope is swallowed up in Jesus' victory, his victory over sin, sickness, and death, we call that pattern that's set forth in the death and resurrection of Jesus the Paschal Mystery. And we say it in our liturgy, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. God is in the business of transforming things that are dead, things that are hopeless, things that are, seem to be finished into new things. The pattern is set in motion by Jesus' death and resurrection. Death is transformed and transfigured into new and resurrected life, fullness of life. We look for the resurrection of the dead brothers and sisters in every turn, in every twist, in every loss, in every dying, in every disappointment, in every devastation of our lives. Christ's resurrection, power, and light can shine into those places of darkness and transform. I think baptism is the perfect demonstration of this paschal mystery right before our eyes today. The old life of sin is plunged down under the water and rising up to new life. We die to sin and we're buried in baptism in Christ and then we're raised to new life in grace in Jesus Christ. And that's the new life that Denton and Sadie and Silas and Ruby and noble Benjamin will receive this day in the sacrament of holy baptism. C.S. Lewis makes an interesting observation in his his writing on reflections on Psalms, he says, our life as Christians begins by being baptized into a death. And, in, and our most joyous festivals begin with and center upon the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. 
There's a tragic depth in our worship. We rehearse it whenever we baptize, whenever we celebrate communion. There is death and there is new life. Another meditation I read this week said, rest in faith that from every death comes new life. In every wound there is an opportunity for healing and for hope. Scripture tells us in Isaiah 53 and 1 Peter that it's by Christ's wounds that our wounds are healed and we are made whole. This passage caused me to reflect on my life a bit past couple of weeks. And it's with hindsight that I'm able to catch a glimpse of the Paschal mystery in my own losses. My husband, Bob, died about 11 years ago. His liver was failing at the time. His kidneys also started to fail. And he was in the hospital at that point for several weeks. I don't know about you, but I've spent every holiday known to humankind in the hospital with him at one point or another. And I can tell you the food that they serve in the hospital, mm, not so good, not so good. My husband knew that too. And so he said to me, please, bring me a Christmas dinner. Bring me turkey. Bring me stuffing. Bring me the whole thing. I want all of that for Christmas Day. You have to know my husband, Bob, reveled in food. He loved food. So we did. I, I had three services that Christmas Eve night. I had a service on Christmas Day. A friend of mine helped, and we together prepared this big feast. And as we walked into the hospital room to see my husband that day with all of this food, I thought he'd be so excited to see all the food. He could have cared less about the food. His face was glowing. It was beaming. I thought, wow, what happened? We put the food down, and he grabbed my hands, and he, he shook them, and he said, you know, he said, I don't just believe anymore. I don't just believe anymore. I know. I know. I know Christ. Okay, all I could figure from all of that was he must have had quite a visitation that day or that night before. Was it an angel? I don't know. Was it Jesus? I don't know. Somebody was in his room. I do know that. Because he glowed just like he was being transfigured, literally. And he held onto my hands and he said, We have our miracle. Well, for us, the miracle was supposed to be a liver transplant that would give him new life. So I was kind of confused. I, what do you mean? We have our miracle. I am the miracle. I went, what? What? I never quite figured out what he meant by that. But he was the miracle. And I just, I looked at his face and I thought, God is working in this, even in his dying. Even in his dying. He's being transfigured. He's being raised to new life. It's such a picture that as I pondered this reading, I thought that is a wonderful picture of what I'm trying to say in terms of the resurrection that comes even in the midst of loss. The life that he was losing, even the hope of a liver transplant was being swallowed up by gain, caught up into the fullness of eternal life knowing Christ already in the fullness of his resurrection and sharing in his sufferings 
You know, our prayer book says it this way in the burial office. It says, in the midst of life, we are in death. And I believe the reverse is also true. In the midst of dying, in the midst of death, we are in life. And so Paul concludes this passage, not that I have already obtained all this, this fullness of the, the paschal mystery, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I forget what lies behind. I strain forward to what lies ahead and I press on toward the goal to the fullness of resurrection life. Yes, through sufferings and loss because only Christ matters. So I wonder today, perhaps as you look back on your life or a situation you're in now, how is God calling you to look for resurrection, for new life in the midst of loss, in the midst of letting go, in the midst of disappointment or even dying? As you share in his sufferings, you become like him in his death. How is God calling you to bring wounds to him him who was wounded for us so that we might be made whole. So that the grace, by his grace, we may receive and give the gift of forgiveness. So that we might know the power of his resurrection in our own lives today. So that we might know Christ as we set our faces to Jerusalem on this Lenten journey with him and with one another. I want to know Christ, Paul says, and the power of his resurrection that I might share in his sufferings. Let's pray. Gracious God, I pray today that you would shine your light on those areas of our lives where there has been loss and pain. And I pray, Lord, to show us, please, not just death, not just loss, Lord, but when we release that loss to you, that you also, Lord, bring us into the fullness of resurrection, to resurrected life, to new life, to new hope. Lord, would you do that in each of us this day? Would you make us a community? It is a community that knows the Paschal mystery, but also has great hope that, Jesus, you do redeem all things and that you bring new life out of death. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.